Good evening. Now I want to talk about a man that you probably don't know much about, because I don't know much about him, and I've been studying him all week. He's part of a group, as one man calls, more famous than the Beatles, but we rarely mention his name. He did great things, but there's no record of them. He helped change many lives, but I can't tell you how. His name is Thaddeus. I want us to talk about him tonight. He was one of our Lord's 12 apostles. Throughout your Bible, you will not read an account of Thaddeus preaching a powerful, powerful sermon. You will not read him named as healing someone who is sick. You'll never read about he ever casting, him ever casting out a demon. Yet, I believe he did all of that. And the reason I say that is because of what's recorded in Mark's gospel. Writing about Jesus in Mark chapter 6, verse 7. He says, calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over, over evil spirits. And then verses 8 through 11, he gives some instructions. Verses 12 and 13, he says, they went out, preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Thaddeus may not have been a Peter or James or John or even a Paul. He may not have penned a gospel or that we know of an epistle. But as one author says, Jesus wanted Thaddeus to be Thaddeus. Well, who was he? Well, he's called Thaddeus, but he also had other names. John called him Judas, not, his, not Iscariot. Kind of an interesting way of calling him that. Because we have to remember in that time, Judas wasn't necessarily a bad name like we think of it now. But because of Judas Iscariot and his actions, it forever has that kind of connotation to us. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 3, in the King James Version, it reads, uh, Lebius, whose surname was Thaddeus. Now, most understand this, that Judas was probably his given name at birth. Um, Lebius or Thaddeus were more likely nicknames. So what about these other two names? Well, Thaddeus literally just means breast child. If you interpret it from the original language, mean like a nursing baby. We might translate that mama's boy. And we kind of understand that kind of thinking. Or maybe he was the youngest. Maybe he was the baby in the family. I couldn't help but as I think about that, how many grown men, big men, but still being their mama's baby, they're called the baby. Even though they may be 250 pounds, six foot six, they're still called the baby. Lebius means heart child, kind-hearted, good-natured kind of person. But according to the way it's written in Scripture, Luke calls him Judas, son of James. That's what he's called in Luke 6, verse 16. And then again in Acts chapter 1, verse 13, it says, When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying, those present, and then it lists the names, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. Now, there are only two mentions of Thaddeus, Matthew 10, 13, and Mark 3, 18. And again, only one of Lebius, uh, and that's the King James in Matthew 10, verse 13, which is his surname. Alfred Eldersheim, in his book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, says that Matthew called him Lebius from the Hebrew word. 
And he says that Thaddeus was derived also from a Hebrew word. So that's where Matthew gets it. He says in both cases of these words, it would point out to the hardiness or the thankfulness of this apostle, kind of speaking to his character. Well, my question is, why so many names? For someone that we don't know much about, he's got several names. Well, there's little doubt that Thaddeus was his uh, real name, that Judas, the son of James, uh, was, uh, maybe, I'm sorry, we call him Thaddeus, but his real name was James, uh, Judas, the son of James. So why, why Thaddeus? Why, why would we do that? We don't really know. Some say, well, that was his surname, but his father's name was James. Commentators think that's most of the reason why Matthew and Mark call him Thaddeus is, again, to distinguish him from Judas Iscariot. And again, the Gospel of John calls him Judas, not Iscariot. Again, how would you like to be called that for the rest of your life? By your name, but not the bad one. I mean, you just say, well, yeah, call me something else. And so maybe that's how the different names came about. But evidently, the name Judas, when referred to the twelve, just had that cloud over it. So Jerome called Judas Trinomius, which means three names, because he's called Judas, Thaddeus, and Lebius. But before we study the text, where we do read about Thaddeus, think with me for a moment. Most of us have had experiences with children when they are full of questions. You know what I mean by that? Maybe your own children, maybe you're teaching school or a Bible class, or maybe it's grandchildren. And generally, these questions tend to fall into one of three categories. They're the easy questions, like where does peanut butter come from? You can explain that one. When do I start school? Then there's the technical questions, how to get those pictures in the TV? Why is the grass green? And then there are those questions, like where do babies come from? And why is your nose so big? Children have a way of just asking questions. Most of, us, most of us have been around a child, and again, maybe teaching a class or our own children, where we get weary of their questions. And maybe even say, no more questions, or that's enough of that. But why do people ask questions? Because they want to know. That's how we learn. We all remember at times where we were in school or maybe even in a work setting when the teacher was saying something or we were hearing some instruction and there's somebody, their hand goes up and they ask a question and secretly we're very thankful that they asked the question. Maybe we were wondering the same question, but they went first and their hand went up. I can't help but think that the disciples of Jesus were in exactly the same situation where Jesus was talking with them over and over again through those years together. And one of them would speak up. And really, he's speaking up for all of them when they would ask the question. Open your Bibles to John chapter 14. That's where we're going to study tonight. In John 14, but really 13, 14, chapter 15, and chapter 16, John in his gospel is recording a lengthy discussion that took place between Jesus and his disciples. In fact, in that one discussion, they ask at least five questions. Lord, who is it? Lord, where are you going? Lord, how can we know the way? Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Lord, what do you mean by a little while? So this discussion is taking place in the upper room. We know the rest of the story that the next day, Jesus is going to be hanging on a cross. And so this is crunch time. 
This is his last night with his disciples. That's why we had this lengthy discussion going on. So that evening, he's teaching them. He's reminding them. And even though they've been with Jesus now for about three years, they still have questions. And here's the interesting thing. Even at this last hour, this night before, time's almost up, Jesus is not saying, stop it with the questions. He's so welcoming. He's so open. To be fair, there were many times in Jesus' ministry where I think he did get tired of the questions. Are you so slow? Oh, ye of little faith? I'm not really teaching anything that difficult. Like he just wanted them to concentrate. Listen. He didn't really say that. But you can infer that he was thinking that. Because he would say it and say it and say it. And they would ask the question as if he had never said it at all. However, when you read through the life of Jesus, I can't recall one time where he said, stop it with the questions. He welcomed the questions. That's because discipleship is all about learning and growing. When we think about Jesus and who he is and, and his authority and his position, he has every right to tell us what to do. The Bible tells us he has all things under his feet, that he's the head of the church, that in him all things live, move, and have their being. We get that. And so as God in the flesh, he could have said, don't question me, just listen and obey. But he doesn't do that. I think Jesus' willingness to be approachable, his patience with their question is, is, is very revealing to the type of Savior that he is. Instead of being impatient, he's patient. He's encouraging. He's nurturing. He wants them to get it. He wants us to get it. He's willing to help even when we ask questions. He allows us even to have doubts. That's Jesus. And that's the approach that he takes with his disciples. Well, let's look at the time where Thaddeus was allowed to do this. It's in the upper room just after the Last Supper. If you've got your Bibles open to John chapter 14, I'm going to look at verses 19 through 24 in just a moment. This is the one incident that involves Judas by name. At least that's what he's called here. It's they're in the upper room of the chosen ones, and, and Judas' question seems sincere. It's real. He's just saying, I, I need help with this. I don't think he's rebuking Jesus like Peter did. You know, Peter was kind of brash and said, no, no, Jesus, you got it wrong. That's not what he's doing here. I don't think there's a sense of, of doubt or reluctance. I think he's just needing some clarification. And it comes across as a gentle, sincere question of the Lord. Look at verse 19, John chapter 14. Before long, Jesus speaking, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then verse 22. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord... Why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? 
I get the idea he simply wanted to understand. He was trying to grasp this. Judas, or Thaddeus, if that's how you'd like to refer to him, is still just thinking about them, their setting, their perspective, their long-held expectation. See, if you remember the setting here, we're in John 14. If you've got your Bibles open, in John chapter 13, it was Peter who said, Why can't I follow you? Remember saying, where I'm going, you can't follow. You will in time, but not now. And Peter says, why can't I follow you? And then earlier in chapter 14, it was Thomas who says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So this isn't the first question going on in this discourse with Jesus that night. He's still thinking. They're all still thinking about this Messiah that's going to come up and, 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 and establish this physical kingdom. And publicly kind of make everything's right. All, all the wrongdoing against God's people was finally going to be made right. It's going to be the aha moment. I told you so moment. And that's what they saw in Jesus. And they wanted him to be their king. Their literal king. So he's thinking physical kingdom. Physical kingdom. And Jesus is saying, look, before long the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. You can understand where he's like, wait a minute, what's happening here? Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. So he's kind of asking the obvious question. I can't help but think that they were all thinking that. Lord, why do you tend to show yourself to us? And not to the world. It made no sense to him. But Jesus' answer was marvelous. Look at verse 23. Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. To answer Judas' question, Jesus reinstates his previous teaching. Now, he said it before, but that's not saying that they got it before. So he's really reminding them of what he's already taught them. To love God is to obey God. That Jesus, the Son, and God, the Father, they're one. They're working together on this. And they would indwell. He uses the phrase, make our home with anyone who would turn to them. And then Jesus declared the very reverse of verse 23. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So Jesus is helping them to see that he was not going to take over the world in some physical sense. That his kingdom was not of this world at all. Not this physical, external, forced way, this method. But not just the twelve... But all those growing up in this Jewish background had envisioned this coming Messiah to bring about. That was the method that they had hoped for. Instead, Jesus would triumph over the world one heart at a time. A totally different kind of kingdom. What Jesus had been saying was unexpected. And it was so unexpected... They weren't hearing it. 
They weren't getting it. Their minds were made up. This wasn't like new news. Oh yeah, guys, by the way, I'm about to go and, and, and let me tell you what I haven't... No, he's been talking about this. For years he's been talking about this. But the Jews had never considered a Messiah coming like that. The Jewish idea was that the Messiah would come and openly to the world, subdue it, make everything right, correct all the wrongs done to the Jewish people. So maybe Judas, the son of John, or Thaddeus, was still trying to figure out how Jesus was going to make this happen and meet not just his, but all their expectations. Jesus, how is this going down? I just don't get it. He didn't get it. He's very open with his question. And his question is revealing that he doesn't get it. And so Jesus explains that the Father and Son would indwell each believer in the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a wonderful truth? An amazing thing for us to hang on to. And this kingdom is not just for the Jews. It's available to anyone who believes. Aren't we glad he asked the question? It provided such a wonderful opportunity for Jesus to remind us all. So what happened to Thaddeus or Judas or Lebius, whoever you want to call him? Well, most early tradition regarding him suggests that a few years after Pentecost, he took the gospel north to the area that we think of as Turkey today. According to one source, he preached the gospel in Judea, Samaria, Idumea, Syria, Mesopotamia, and Libya. There are ancient accounts of how he healed the king of Edessa, that's in upper Mesopotamia, a man by the name of Abgar. In the 4th century, Eusebius, the historian, he said the archives of Edessa that have since been destroyed contain the full records of Thaddeus' visit and the healing of the king Abgar. Now, traditionally... Again, not from Scripture, but just from tradition. The apostles Jude and Bartholomew are believed to have been the first, one to, the first ones to bring Christianity to Armenia. And because of that, they are considered the patron saints of the Armenian Apostolic Church. And sort of linked to this tradition is the St. Thaddeus Monastery that's now in northern Iran. I had to look up Armenia. Where is that? Some of you may be wondering. It's just north of Iran. So that's kind of the area we're talking about there. And that was constructed in that territory about the 7th century. Well, what about his death? And what about his remains? Well, again, we don't know from Scripture. But according to tradition, Judas suffered martyrdom about 65 A.D. in Beirut in the Roman province of Syria, together with the apostle Simon the Zealot. And what I found, and I noticed this in several mentions, when you read about Judas, you read about Simon the Zealot. I'm not sure if they partnered together. Maybe they were part of that went by two by two. But throughout history, they're mentioned together. I also found that the axe is often shown in, in art depicting him. He's holding an axe or there is an axe. And some think that may have had something to do with the way in which he was killed. But I also read a tradition that said he was clubbed to death. And so the, the, they call it the apostolic symbol for him was a club. So we don't know for sure. Several of his acts and even his martyrdom were recorded in a document called the Acts of Simon and Judas. And I found this to be interesting. 
Sometime after his death, his body was brought from Beirut to Rome and placed in a crypt in St. Peter's Basilica. He's entombed under the main altar of St. Joseph with the remains of the apostle Simon the Zealot. And so the remains are together as well. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for tonight that we can study your word together about someone that we don't know much about, but that we know did great things for you and your kingdom. God, that we're grateful that he asked the question and that Jesus was so approachable and welcoming and we know still is that we can ask questions and that you will answer. Father, we thank you for, as he was trying to understand what it means to live in your kingdom, that even today we still try to understand what it means to live in your kingdom. That just as he seemed to be focused on the physical life and the physical kingdom, sometimes we get so focused in this life, in our current circumstances, and we miss the spiritual truth that you as Jesus are one with the Father and that you indwell in every believer. What a wonderful, wonderful gift that your spirit is with all of us. We thank you for his example. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his questions. Father, help us to follow, to be dedicated. And when we don't understand, to ask. And then when we understand, to submit. That we can follow you all the days of our life. And that all that we do will bring glory and honor to you. It's through Christ we pray. Amen. Tonight, if we can pray for you in any way, or if you're ready to have your sins washed away in baptism, we always have the water ready. Why don't you come as we stand and sing to encourage.